Emmy Friedman is someone who I sat in front of or next to in a number of film classes in college, but didn't really get to know until we both moved to Charlottesville after graduation. For the last few years, she's been living in Brooklyn while attending grad school at NYU. She is a contagiously mirthful spirit overlaying an inquisitive, striking intellect, and when I planned to move to New York, I deeply hoped it would be an opportunity for our friendship to grow. I'm very grateful that it has been just that, and Emmy is nothing if not a dear friend, a guide to Brooklyn, a drinking buddy, and a valuable trivia team. This spring, Emmy completed a master's degree in global journalism at NYU, a program which, if not for the unfortunate timing, would have had her traveling internationally to research her thesis in the summer of 2020. When the pandemic hit, she and many of her fellow students had to completely revamp their thesis plans to be something that could be done remotely, and thankfully, she found an extremely interesting story to tell that proved to be a perfect confluence of her interests in history and music. So I started looking at different master's programs when I was working in local news, realizing that my career wasn't really going anywhere. And um, so I started reaching out to my undergraduate history professors, asking them for letters of recommendation and kind of just like advice about where I should apply. And one of them was very candid with me. He called me while I was at work one night and he basically proceeded to like yell at me about the futility of getting a master's in history, <laughs> saying that there was like no career path for pursuing that. And so my professor was basically like, well, you work in journalism, like, do you like that? And I was like, yes, I do. And he was like, don't even think about applying to journalism programs that aren't in New York City or Chicago or Los hmm. Angeles, though. Um, well, I stumbled on like, not like stumbled on NYU, like never heard of this small school before, <laughs> but like <laughs> I stumbled on the program that they have within their journalism masters called Global Journalism or Glojo. And I thought like that would really meld my two interests together of history and journalism. So I applied for the International Relations Department and journalism and got in. The point of this program is to travel between your first and second years of the master's program. <laughs> yeah, um, and my first and second year was between May and August of 2020. So I ended up switching my thesis idea, which was actually a blessing in disguise. Um, and so did most people in my program because oh, most okay, of us yeah. couldn't travel, to, yeah. yeah. My first idea, it's even, like, embarrassing to discuss. It's Why? just, like, not very good. <laughs> but uh, I was going to go to Argentina, specifically the Patagonia region, because there's a really big Welsh population there. And I think it was, like, around uh, the early 1900s, there was this, like, exodus of various European groups who were kind of marginalized going to Argentina because... Argentina, as I recall in my research, was trying to like westernize and it still exists today. There's still a very large Welsh contingent in Argentina. People there are fluent in Spanish and Welsh. Schools are bilingual so in those two languages. Yeah, it's like really big and people in Wales continue to go there as sort of like a pilgrimage. But I was going to basically study the Welsh migration through music and how like it would be like a mixture of like Welsh and Spanish lyrics. I don't know. I was kind of like working through this idea yeah. that the pandemic hit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've always been interested in writing about music. And so my thesis ended up being about how the U.S. has systematically used music, especially from African-American communities, to like further its diplomatic endeavors. But I kind of started from like a historical perspective and um, kind of like traced this through line of U.S. diplomacy, like using music in the Cold War era the U.S. would send very famous artists like Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington abroad to countries either behind 
the Iron Curtain or like emerging nations in Latin America and Africa and the Middle East and basically just put on these really big shows and kind of like showcase American music, American culture. And mostly what it was used for was to indicate to different populations that the U.S. was not racist because (laughs) the little problem that the U.S. had back then in the 1940s. That's fully fixed now. Fully fixed, yeah. yeah, That's why this program exists. Not because of that. Uh, Yeah, so the people in other countries were like, you know, the U.S. is pretty cool, but we've heard that it's racist there. The the government said, no, no. (laughs) No, look at Duke Ellington. Yeah, he's right here. He's the front man of this band. He's got white dudes in his band band too. <laughs> They're all playing together. But um, it actually ended up backfiring because <laughs> these musicians like Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington would come to these countries with their own experiences of life in the U.S. And they could actually identify more with people in these emerging nations and the struggle for like independence and democracy and gaining basic rights. And they were like, hey, look, it's still a struggle in the U.S., like the richest country, the most successful whatever country in the world is also struggling to allow everyone to express themselves freely and walk down the street in peace. And Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington found that they were more likely to be welcomed with open arms in other countries and enjoy a cup of coffee in cafes around the world than they could in the U.S. And of course, they would tell the audiences this. And so, uh, you know, these tours don't really help that much. (laughs) Historians like to point to, not historians, like, generalized, but I think there is, like, a point to be like, hey, look, democracy essentially won the Cold War. Like, that's how the Soviet Union fell. Blue jeans and jazz won the Cold War. Mm -hmm. People around the world want freedom to buy things and listen to what they want. So that program was checked off as a success, but upon deeper analysis, it really was not. But because of that success that people saw within the government, they have continued on this music diplomacy mission and created a program called Next Level, which is basically just a modern day rendition of that. (laughs) Next Level began in 2014, I believe. And the U.S. State Department basically sent out, like, a call for applications to people who knew what they were doing rather than just, like, diplomats within D.C., you know? So um, a man whose name is Mark Katz, he is a music professor at the UNC Chapel Hill. He answered that call, and he worked closely with another professor at the time at UNC named Pierce Freelon. And the two of them came up with a proposal together, sent it into the State Department, and the State Department said, okay, you guys come up with this program, and we will fund it, and you can send people to the countries of our choosing. <laughs> They've sent artists to different countries, mostly in like North Africa, East Asia, South America, places like that. So I specifically looked at the countries, um, Nigeria, Morocco, and Uganda. I basically just chose those three countries because those are the people who answered my DMs on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) But they ended up being really interesting, (laughs) so it worked out for me. (laughs) They only send about like five different hip-hop artists who are nobodies, you know, like everybody in the world knew who Louis Armstrong was. The people that they're sending to countries now are people you have never heard of. And they usually are people who actually have like an academic background in hip hop and maybe like work at a university like in music departments, which is like very different from sending Louis Armstrong abroad, you know? According to Mark Katz, like if they were to send Jay-Z abroad, the focus would be like, hey, look, Jay-Z, a famous man is having a concert. And then the focus isn't on like working collaboratively to create music. Yeah, it's not at all an effort (laughs) anymore. It's just, yeah, it's a publicity stunt at that point. 
it would have been more timely if I had finished it in like February because I would say like the main theme of it takes place in Uganda and there was a presidential election in Uganda in like early January I want to say in, in 2021. Basically what happened was the man in power, Museveni, he has been in power for like almost 40 years I want to say. He met his match in this most recent presidential election. I mean of course he runs an autocratic country, so he can maintain power regardless. But this most recent presidential election proved challenging to him because a man named Bobby Wine came to popularity through actually sort of like reggae hip hop music videos that he became like very famous and popular for. And so people, especially young people in Uganda, like really took a liking to Bobby Wine and he was like, I'm gonna run for president. You know, he like presented us like democracy and like hope for young people in a time when that's like really needed. So people really rallied behind Bobby Wine and he ended up being thrown in jail a bunch of times and stuff like that. So um, when the presidential election came around, people like turned out in mass to vote for Bobby Wine and people were using the internet because he also is a millennial. So people like really took to like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube to sort of like rally behind him. And the night of the presidential election, all of the internet goes out across the country. Um, Yeah, so Museveni's regime shut down the internet. And so my thesis begins with a girl named B-Girl Key who runs hip hop dance classes in Uganda. And she learned, she kind of like honed her skills through taking part in these next level workshops, which came to Uganda in like 2015. When the pandemic hit, she started teaching um, hip hop dance classes online. And then when uh, the internet shut down, she could not teach hip hop classes. So she used a VPN to sort of like skirt around the blackout. So people would tune in illegally to uh, take part in hip hop. And then when you think about the irony that like Museveni's main rival is a hip hop artist who like came to fame through hip hop. And so hip hop is like very much like the antithesis of the regime at this point. You know, eventually the internet comes back on. Um, She's able to resume her classes in a normal, safe setting. But for a while, it was definitely a risk that she was taking, was holding these classes online. But I didn't finish my thesis until May, so (laughs) (laughs) it became irrelevant. Wow. (laughs) New 70 is still in power. Um, Yeah, it's not great. (laughs) So that is where my thesis ends. This has been day seven of the February Project, September edition, a mini podcast where I make an audio piece of 10 minutes or less every day in the month of September 2021. You can find Emmy on Twitter at Emmy Friedman.